Welcome back, my friends, Bitcoiners, crypto enthusiasts. You know, if you notice that I use kind of the terms always separately. But welcome back, everyone, to another exciting episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Schrem, one of the early pioneers of the Bitcoin movement. I've been in the game since early 2011 from, from co-founding BitInstant, one of the first Bitcoin exchanges, to now bringing you this podcast 11 years later. I've seen the waves of change and growth firsthand in this space. Today, we're going to dive deep into a really cool topic that's been stirring a lot of conversations, but more like creating like, it's, it's not just stirring conversations in every crypto corner. It's also like creating so like an internal strife. If you notice, especially the listeners, when we've talked to some of these guests before, I'm like, you know, are, do you consider yourself a Bitcoiner? But that kind of like distinction between Bitcoin and the larger realm of crypto, I'm honored to have with me someone who's not only seen these changes from the boardroom and from being at conferences and on the street himself, but has been instrumental in driving them. Andrew Kugel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Charlie. A lot of you guys may recognize Andrew's name linked to tokens.com, the public listed company that's been pushing boundaries by investing in the metaverse, real estate, DeFi, and NFT related digital assets. But Andrew's journey in the crypto world is far more intricate than that. Before tokens.com, Andrew, you've co-founded and served as CEO of, of HUD8 Mining, one of the world's most significant publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies. And if you trace your journey back even further, you'll find you were two decades as an investment banker specializing in technology and real estate. Yeah, that's right. Started off into this. It was actually back in 2016, which is late for, for some people, but it was 2016 when I first started diving down into Bitcoin. 2016, huh? That's like... It's crazy to think that in a couple of years, that's going to be 10 years and like a decade. Well, <laughs> one year in this sector is like 10 years in anything else, right? With all the progress. Yeah. Yeah. But here's one question I want to put you right away. Yeah. So yeah. I, I heard this earlier that there was the Bitcoin conference in Miami. I don't know if you, if you got out to that. I didn't. I, I try and avoid the conferences these days. But the new thing that came out is the Bitcoin people were saying Bitcoin is not crypto. And I saw this as sort of the Bitcoin maxis saying, we don't want to be affiliated with any of the, the altcoins, the shitcoins, whatever you want to call them. I want to see what your thoughts were on that. Like Bitcoin, we're not a crypto anymore. Before I went to prison, I never really thought twice about how detrimental maximalism can be. But I saw firsthand how kind of putting yourself in a corner and having to like set your flag down and defend a position, even if that position turns out to be wrong. I've I've seen firsthand like how that can put you in prison, you know, I mean, so like right. it's interesting. I don't like pigeonholing my oneself, but I do think that we need to make definitions. And that's been where maximalism has come from. You know, again, to look at both sides of the argument, I get it. We've had a, there's been a whole bunch of stuff on the, the altcoin side, whether it's like Shiba Inu or Dogecoin or whatever else. The, frankly, as an outsider, you can look at this stuff and be like, this is embarrassing. This is stuff that goes up like 10,000% in two days and then completely loses its value later on. And so I can see in trying to create legitimacy around this whole area to be like, hey, we're different. However, the underlying technology that all these coins are using was really pioneered by, by Bitcoin. So hard to distance yourself, but certainly Bitcoin, I mean, it's been legitimized now by every investment bank in the world, every consulting firm. It's in the news every day, whereas, you know, lesser known coins don't have that same notoriety and infamy. Well, I guess what you're saying is that all these, and I'm taking some notes, all these cryptos is, first of all, the world needs to like easily define whatever this thing is. So if we look historically, 
you had a Bitcoin first until then you had all these other things. But even Satoshi talked about, you know, these altcoin things, your name coins. When he was still around, he was talking about one or two of them. They're all kind of like shades of the same color, if you will. They all kind of can trace back to the ethos of Bitcoin, which I think we'll get to later. You can kind of look at history and define at what point did Bitcoin actually turn into crypto? A good question. Was it ever not crypto? Was it not from the outset that people like when I got involved in 2016, it was really in, in my mind at the time, it was the only crypto. Cryptology has been around for a long time, but it was the only, you know, internet crypto business out there, not even a business currency or payment, whatever you want to call it. The narrative on Bitcoin has changed yeah. a lot, right? Back in 2016, it was like, this is the future of payments. And then it was, this is the you know hedge against inflation. And then this is a hedge against government. The narrative changes to suit what is happening in the world. And, and frankly, is not never be, Bitcoin, and not to digress to it, Bitcoin hasn't been able to maintain a proper narrative over, since its inception, right? Because yeah. pushed as one thing, and then they recognize, nonetheless, it is still the most legitimized form of, of crypto ownership in the world. Okay, so I like that you get into the narrative conversation because I like the early Bitcoin days when there was no narrative attached. I guess the early narrative was this anarcho-capitalist where it was like the idea of let's build an alternative system because we were coming out of the 2008, 2009 years where it was really, really, really difficult. And then you had this, you had this Bitcoin thing and all of a sudden it was a community that was driven by misfits and, and different people. But then over time, I think with the advent of Ethereum, that changed it into smart contracts. Going back to the narrative for a second, it makes me sad because that label crypto has followed a narrative that we all have to, like, especially during the COVID years, and that has basically forced it to follow like a narrative of price. And I don't like that. I like when it was its own thing that didn't have to follow those narratives that were created by the mainstream media themselves. Yeah, you're right. The narrative today really is all about price. And back in the early days, this was a group of people, what do you want to call them, you know, outsiders who said the financial system is is crappy, right? Yeah. I mean, this was Bitcoin was an anti-establishment thing that was set up. It was we don't trust government. We don't trust financial services. Look what happened during the, the great crisis here, the great recession. Let us see if there's find a way for individuals to recapture the ability to transact with each other, the, almost like a barter economy. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Now it's become a narrative where it's not that anti-establishment anymore when JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and everybody have price targets on it. And you know everybody's moving into the sector. Going back to definitions, I've struggled from a technology perspective. What I do now is I keep, although they are one in the same, if we look at how to define cryptos, I, I, I like to look at myself as like a decentralization maximalist. I got into Bitcoin because I believe in that trustless system, security and decentralization and immutability that was kind of solved by what Satoshi figured out in, in, in the white paper, the Byzantine generals problem. And right. if you look at like the perfect trustless system, it's impossible to get there at scale without going through that gro those growth phases. And it's very easy during those growth phases to want to give up decentralization in favor of smoother growth and governance for centralization. And so if we were to like label all these things, we would have to like put them on a spectrum of crypto and almost like put them on a score. It's like, 
how far down the path of decentralization are they? Where Bitcoin being like the farthest one and everyone else is behind. And that's kind of why I've labeled them like Bitcoin and crypto. Right. But when you look at the future, do you really think Bitcoin's going to remain really decentralized? Like ultimately, I think in five years, everyone's going to you know go to their Wells Fargo account or whatever, and I'll buy my you know Tesla, my Amazon, and yeah, yeah. throw in some Bitcoin funder ETF. And it's it's not going to be centralized in 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 a, in a traditional sense, but centralized in the same way gold is. You know, even mining, like oh. I don't. I don't think when Satoshi created Bitcoin, he ever envisioned the ASIC chip and that mining was only going to be done by like huge industrial companies. Like nobody mines Bitcoin in their basement or their dorm anymore. It's just not functional. Yeah, the ASIC chip definitely changed how Bitcoin mining was done. And I like your gold analogy because like gold is decentralized in the fact that like you can mine gold in South Africa, you can mine gold in North Dakota, you can mine for gold in, you know, all over the world. But gold as like a commodity and a tradable market product is very centralized. Is that kind of the analogy that you're getting at with Bitcoin? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I'm just curious because you're talking, who was the first person that introduced you to Bitcoin? Like, like you were like, what, in your parents' basement? The first time someone showed you Bitcoin, did like a light bulb go off and you were like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like for me, it took me about eight months of me being like, this sounds dumb. To like, oh my gosh, this is incredible and genius. Here, here I was in junior year of college in New York City. And this was the same year that Bear Stearns collapsed, Lehman Brothers collapsed, and thousands and tens of thousands of other of other financial firms. My father, our friends' fathers, everyone I knew lost their job. And here, I, like every, for a while, like people were out of work. Luckily, we, we grew up in a religious community and everyone helped each other out. But I grew up in this, like the finance world fucking broke. And it literally broke. And here I was in college, three years, studying economics. I was studying an economic system by people who just got laid off from Bear Stearns are now teaching me their failed system. Right. That's this is just this is the environment that I am. On the same time, I'm not the best student. You don't you don't you don't strike me as having been a straight A student, but you know what? The world is run by C students. But yeah, there you go. And all of a sudden, I'm in a chat room late at night in an IRC chat room, and I literally don't remember who said it or like where it came from. But and I remember the chat rooms that I was that I was in. I was in all the free node, like all the the. Uh, they were like all these like um, gray hat type of like software, like we built out like little hacking tools and stuff like that. And so those that's where Satoshi kind of first hung out in, ha- in like hashtag Bitcoin in the R- IRC. But I remember like as soon as I told about it, I immediately went to the website, Bitcoin.org, downloaded software. And the Bitcoin software at the time was running on my, my, uh, my Windows XP or whatever it was. And it was not only a wallet, but it was also mining as it was running. So like you were oh. earning one Bitcoin for every like 10 minutes that you had the right. software running. It was wild. We were we were all one of the same, but like the light bulb completely, like I completely understood it. Like I completely understood Bitcoin you so quickly. you think it would end up being this big? No. I remember like when I got into, nobody was talking about Bitcoin in the mainstream media. 
today it's like quoted on you know Bloomberg everywhere. Did you think it was going to get this big when you first, like, how old are you, like 18 years old? I must have been, I was like 21 or 22, and now I'm 33. So I never thought it would get as big and wild and crazy. In the beginning, when I was kind of like had my handle on everything, when it kind of got out of my hands, per se, I would start to get a little bit, oh, shit, this is mine. Other people can't do things in Bitcoin. For a while, it was a very small community and it was, you know, we were doing everything. And we had the biggest company and I had like 30 employees, which for any startup is big. But for a Bitcoin company at the time, we had like another 10 or 20 people working out of our office because they had nowhere else to work out of. The first ASIC was invented in my office. That's why you mentioned ASIC. I was mining on that first ASIC. This was all Bitcoin. And I was friends with Vitalik. I was still am. I was friends with all the people that started Ethereum. And you know a lot of them too. But that was a big watershed moment because... All those people were early Bitcoiners, whereas when you they were diehard Bitcoiners, like a like Vitalik is one of the founders and writers of Bitcoin magazine, like diehard right. Bitcoiner. There were there are articles that people can find right now where Vitalik accused me of not being decentralized enough. It's kind of funny. I right. read those articles. I go back and like find them and read them. But in any other community now, they're not members. They're not Bitcoiners first. They're like if you join. You know, Solana, you're like a Solana person. Yeah, you could love Bitcoin too and be a Bitcoiner and 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 understand all that. But crypto is different from Bitcoin, I feel like. Whereas with Ethereum was the last one, it's almost sad thinking about it, talking about it, where like they were all diehard Bitcoiners. And if it wasn't for the stupid maximalism of some of the early Bitcoiners, Ethereum could have potentially been built on or with Bitcoin or in conjunction with Bitcoin. And there could have been something that would it could have been all together. And it's kind of funny how like everyone's trying to spend money nowadays investing in bridging assets and bringing all these blockchains to work interchangeable. When like for like 10 years, everyone's wanted to build their own blockchains that work differently. Yeah, I I think that's interesting. And, and again, in, in hearing this, as we talk, I'm tending to sort of agree that Bitcoin is is not crypto at least not as maybe the world defines it. I think there's just a, a different level of, of use for it. And although the narrative continues to change a little bit, it's just it's different than everything else that's out there. It just is. But I agree with you. The two biggest things here that happened that really put things on a different trajectory were ETH and the creation of the ASIC. And for, and for the listeners, because I think this is really important, because I, I don't think when Satoshi created Bitcoin, he ever envisioned the ASIC chip. Yeah, you're right. And ASIC allowed basically far more uh, faster computations on the mining side, which then led to these huge mining farms, which is how Bitcoin is essentially dominated, right? Like you've got, I don't know, there's probably 30 massive crypto miners in the world, had eight being my former company being one of them, that control all this. But I think originally he was probably like, hey, this is something anybody can do in their house. And kids were doing, their guys were doing their dorm rooms and people were doing their basements and everything else is a way to make extra money. Nobody mines Bitcoin out of their house anymore. No, no one does. But seven years ago, people were still playing around with it. And before the ASIC chip, that was the only way to mine Bitcoin. Yeah. And perhaps that's what's taken it and given it such a much more institutional feel, right? You have these massive Bitcoin miners that, by the way, are huge clients of the Wall Street firms. Wall Street is raising the capital for these miners to go purchase these these huge mining machine primarily made out of China today that allow the entire ecosystem to work, which again is quite ironic for something that was back to the beginning, anti-establishment by a group of outsiders. And now everyone's like holding hands a little bit around the Bitcoin table, you know, JP Morgan with the outsiders and everybody else and, and trying to develop different things. But anyways, 
very cool to have seen how this has developed in what 11 years yeah it's such a short amount of time and it yeah. could very well be that like crypto metaverse DeFi grows you know more it just continues growing and is a 5 10 15 trillion dollar industry very quickly and right now if you look at like bitcoin is like a trillion you know and then all the crypto is like half of that or something but that's i so think that's a question for you so if you if, if someone gave you like forget about what you somebody said relative or her else and somebody's like okay million bucks has to be something blockchain crypto related where do you put it you can choose one asset where do you put it million if you have to put like if you have to put a million dollars into one crypto asset can i make it like an index token that tracks all other tokens <laughs> yes no that's a good idea though i would that's a good if, idea if, okay well it exists not not widely available but yeah if coin market cap tomorrow created a token that tracked at all times the top 100 and it was like weighted the top 100 cryptos now if you fell out of the top 100 you'd be dumped from like something like the s p 500 right. like you know the nasdaq or whatever and so you're just investing in like the total market cap of crypto that's where i would put a million dollars right today i think i'd go 100 percent bitcoin i you know despite bitcoin my would have like all these other things yeah I, like i you know even on my like i own e i own bitcoin but i think today especially with like the talk of the, the new the et like the etf at this point is just inevitable right yeah I'm still super bullish. I think everything else is great for the creation of various products. Like I think the metaverse is going to be unifying like AI and DeFi and all these great things for this younger generation. But if I had to choose one thing, I'm putting it into Bitcoin. If there was no index token, then yes, I would have to just put it all into Bitcoin. It would be nice if there was like 80% Bitcoin dominance and then the other 20% could be investing in some of these other stuff. It could be a little, a little, you know, it could be very cool. But yeah. Give you one stat. You remind me, and I, I, I like talking about some of these stats, but you know, you talk about demo, demographics, and I was, I was thinking about that. So the Gen Zs, which are like 93 to 2000 something, and then the Generation Alpha, which is up to 2025. So I call them the Zalphas, which is like uh, 93 or 96 to 2025. A lot of people don't know this. So the baby boomer generation has defined everything in the world, right? Like the banking system, arts, music. Why? Largest population in history with the largest spending power. But they're dying off. Yeah. This new younger generation is going to be like 50% of the workforce by the end of the decade and the largest consumer in history. These people are just sitting around playing Roblox all day. They love streaming all these web-free games, all this stuff. For them, digital value, things like Bitcoin and beyond are just a normal part of everyday life. I think you're going to see profound changes to culturally how services are delivered how e-commerce is delivered over the course of the next five years it's like in five years we're going to look backwards and not even recognize what the hell is going on today dude you are you are preaching to the choir and so you're saying earlier that you think bitcoin can just stay like some niche industry do you think that bitcoin will just like like it's okay for everything to just grow and explode and bitcoin will just stay its own kind of thing I think Bitcoin's going to remain somewhat separate, but call it the you know the the OG of this of the space. I think Bitcoin is going to become so readily available once the ETF gets approved. Like I've seen what's happened in Canada. As soon as one guy got approved for an ETF, then another guy's ten guys got approved. If Black BlackRock, the statistic is BlackRock has submitted three hundred and ninety five applications to the SEC for different funds. They've only been rejected once ever. Okay, so. 
even their rhetoric is, we know we're going to get approved. Might not be next week, might not even be next year. It's going to happen for a spot ETF for Bitcoin. When that happens, you're just going to have a massive wave of buying power coming in. And it's going to be just not BlackRock, but it's going to be everybody in the world. I think that's going to push the price up pretty high. I mean, I, I'd be shocked if by the end of 2025 going into 2026, we're not at a quarter of a million dollars per, per Bitcoin. You you are preaching to the choir. Right? It's just going to be one of those things that you, you gotta you gotta have some. And you know, you talked about studying economics and you know Austrian economics and all this. It's just the, the scarcity factor, the mining rewards going down. I do get concerned about the the, the future of, of mining. Again, having run one of the largest miners built and, and run one of the largest, it's either the best business of the world or the shittiest business in the world. Yeah. It's it, and so how do you maintain this? Because a bunch of AI companies are now approaching me and saying, "Hey, we want to stop mining Bitcoin after the next halving and get into like uh, high-powered computing for AI." So now all of a sudden you got this competition for mining from AI companies. The, the people start pulling out. Does that help price? I mean, who knows? Interesting. Wait, can ASICs though? They can't do anything else except for mine Bitcoin. Though, how could you? What would you use? Correct. They want to use GPUs. Yeah, GPUs, yeah. Yeah, like getting the, those NVIDIA GPU chips are like, man, they're real hard to get and in demand. I remember when the early days of mining Bitcoin, <laughs> you go to like, there were, what was that website where you buy like, it was like one website in 2013 and 12 that you can buy like graphics cards on on like on a web. I forget it was like, it was like officedepot.com or something like that. And they were like, right. they were like, we don't know why we keep running out of graphics cards all of a sudden. Right. But it was like this. That's when I felt Bitcoin, the powerfulness of it. I think that's when I felt the power of, it, of, of Bitcoin. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. Like you really have to be in awe of what's happened through the pioneering of this thing from a person that we don't even know who it is. Yeah. Likely is dead, right? Like, you know, the impact this has had. Time travelers. It's having on everything is just bananas. Andrew, you're going to be back on the next episode. So for the listeners, tune in. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're doing five episodes together. We're doing a whole series, but I'll tell you more about it soon. So have a great day.